I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters. I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who has been covering beauty, fashion, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, I'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Dimmitt Waters with a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. Today we are going to talk about, well, women's heart health. Uh, I My guest today is uh, Dr. Felice Gersh, and she is an award-winning OBGYN specializing in all aspects of women's health and founder director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine in Irvine, California. Her practice provides comprehensive health care for women, combining the best evidence-based therapies from conventional, uh, naturopathic, and holistic medicine. She taught obstetrics and gynecology at Keck USC School of Medicine for many years as an assistant clinical professor and has received the Outstanding Volunteer Clinical Facility Award. She's also a prolific writer, a world-renowned lecturer, and has been featured in several films and documentary series, including The Real Skinny and Fat with Montel Williams and Fasting. She is the mother of four and lives with her husband, Bob, in Orange County, California. Hi there, Dr. Gersh. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, I thought this was, thanks for coming. Um, I thought this was a great topic, especially since, well, it's still February, so it's American Heart Awareness Month. And um, I, I think women are beginning to realize and learn and that heart disease is very prevalent in women, especially once they hit middle age. So I guess, you know, I want, yeah, of course, I want to know all the things that we need to know about heart disease, but we don't have all that, all that time. So um, my first question is, why do our chances of heart disease increase in middle age as women? Well, it really all revolves around our hormones, particularly estrogen. The predominant estrogen that's made from the ovaries is called estradiol. And there are receptors throughout every organ system for this hormone, including the cardiovascular system, in the arteries, in the heart muscle itself. And when our estrogen levels start to decline, which starts about a decade actually before the menopause hits at average age 50 or 51, we really start increasing atherosclerosis, hypertension starts to increase. And then after our ovaries fail, what we call ovarian senescence, known as menopause, then we have dramatic increases in cardiovascular events and diseases. Oh, well, that's just great. (laughs) Lucky (laughs) us. (laughs) It's universal. I mean, mean, there's so many things in life you can avoid by great lifestyle, but no matter how great your diet, if you practice yoga, meditate daily, you're going to hit menopause. It's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm learning that. So um, what are the symptoms of heart disease in women? If you could list some of them. Unfortunately for many women, the first symptom is also death. Unfortunately, more women die from their first heart attacks than do men. 
And when women have heart attacks, they often call it atypical presentation, which drives me crazy because what it is, is a female presentation. This is really um, a big failing of our conventional medical system is recognizing the very huge innate differences between males and females throughout really everything when it comes to health. And in the cardiovascular system, women have really different evidence-based medicine um, presentations of failure, of heart attacks, and then our, we, our system calls it atypical, but really it's typical for females. So women, when they have a heart attack, will not often have the classic where they have like crushing chest pain, left arm pain and shoulder pain, neck pain, jaw pain. Of course that can happen, but often it presents with a feeling of anxiety, nausea, lightheadedness, um, just sort of uneasiness, a very different presentation. Why do you think that we don't know this? I mean, generally as women that, uh, you know, a heart attack for a woman can feel very differently than it does for a man. Like that's news well, to me. Part of, well, part of it goes to the fact that research involving women has been really um, deficient. Up until 2015, the NIH did not require that women even be included in studies. And they were not broken out as far as their results being different. So it's actually quite recent that women are even part of heart studies. You know, so a lot of the data that people think they know about drugs that relate to the cardiovascular system, metabolism issues, and so forth, are really based on studies with men. And when they look at females, the results can be quite divergent. So I think that's part of it. And part of it is that women's unique issues have often been um, devalued. You know, it's really a shame. So women can come in with symptoms that they're maybe actually having a heart attack and they're given an antidepressant or a tranquilizer. And, and this actually is, is so painfully true. I actually have a dear friend who was actually in that exact situation. She was having like impending heart attack and felt incredibly anxious. Like something is wrong. I know something is really wrong. And they kept trying to give her tranquilizers and until her husband, you know, the male actually put his foot down and said, Something is wrong with my wife. Never had a history of anxiety before like this. And then they realized, oh my gosh, you know, her oxygen level is plummeting and her heart is not working right and so forth. So it's just um, unfortunate. But women's uh, complaints are often attributed to emotional issues when, of course, emotions and physiological issues are one and the same. And um, it's, it's really, in fact, it's such an interesting thing. Women make up 80 to 90% of what's called Takusubo, also known as broken heart syndrome, which can account for actually a significant number of female heart attacks. And it's brought on by emotions that alter the functioning of the autonomic nervous system. And then you get um, this really blast of sympathetic output, which causes vasoconstriction, which can affect blood flow to the heart creating um, heart failure and arrhythmias and, and can be fatal just as a heart attack from plaque and, a, and ruptured plaque and then a blood clot that comes off. So it's a different mechanism entirely, doesn't involve atherosclerosis, but can be just as fatal and is very almost exclusive to females and therefore is under-recognized and underappreciated as an actual health issue for women. 
Wow. I'm in shock. 2015 was the first time that women. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing to me. Boy. You well, think women we come- were more complex. You know, they didn't want to deal with women. I mean, they might, you know, if they're younger, they might get pregnant. They might go on and off birth control pills. They might go into menopause and, and so forth. So they're more complex. So they didn't want to deal with it. But I look know, what happened as a result. Imagine how many women they killed by giving them an antidepressant or, you know, and obviously it's, it is frightening. That yes. is terrifying. Um, okay, women. So if you all of a sudden are having some sort of a, you know, be aware of this, that it could be a heart attack. And if you're not, if they want to give you something and you don't, you have to advocate for yourself, women. That's what I'm always saying. You have to advocate. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. So you, you kind of said, so the symptoms for women, you just said of heart disease, what are the symptoms of heart disease? Not just like a heart attack. So, you know, how do you know? Well, one of the first signs of cardiovascular disease is actually hypertension. Now, hypertension is actually not an early sign of vascular disease. By the time someone has an elevated blood pressure, it means their their arteries are really not healthy. Right. They lack what is called nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide is produced in a couple of different ways through the foods we eat, like green leafy vegetables and beets. They contain what are called nitrates. And then through the bacterial action of enzymes in our mouth, they are converted to nitrites. And then lower on in the GI tract, it's converted to nitric oxide, a gas redox signaling agent. So it's a signaling agent. It's also an antioxidant. And then it diffuses through the body. But it's also produced in arteries that help to maintain the artery health and relaxation. So you don't have constriction. You don't have the lining called the endothelial lining of the artery becoming unhealthy. And that's how plaque develops in the artery. So all of that depends on the presence of nitric oxide. And it turns out that estrogen from the ovary and in men is converted into estrogen in the artery itself from testosterone. So all estrogen comes from androgens. All estradiol comes from testosterone. So men should love estrogen too. They just don't know it. They have plenty, but it's not made in an organ like the ovary and then circulates. It's made on site in different organs, like in the arteries. Mm. So in men, they have healthy arteries because their testosterone is converted into estradiol in the artery itself. And women, predominantly their estradiol goes from their ovaries to their arteries and then through the action of an enzyme called endothelial nitric oxide synthase, this gas signaling antioxidant agent called nitric oxide is made that keeps arteries really, really healthy. But with the onset of menopause and the estrogen decline, then the arteries become stiffer, less flexible, and blood pressure starts to rise. Now, this can also occur earlier in life if women don't have estrogen for any other reason, like unfortunately, some women have eating disorders and they have like anorexia nervosa, and then they stop producing estrogen, or they're using some sort of contraceptive method that takes away their estrogen production or reduces it, including all the hormonal contraceptive methods. Unfortunately, if you look at the literature, they'll say like, for example, oral contraceptives, birth control pills, one of the potential side effects is hypertension, elevated Mm. blood pressure. And that's because you don't have 
the same type of estrogen. It's a different thing that you're getting when you're getting birth control pills. It's not the same estrogen that's made by the ovaries. And then um, some women end up on drugs, like they have endometriosis, uterine fibroids, where they give them drugs that block their production of estrogen. So there's a whole slew of reasons why women can develop hypertension, but it's really a sign of vascular malhealth, vascular dysfunction and vascular disease. By the time you get the hypertension, it already means that the vascular system is not really healthy. So that's one of the things. There are really not a lot of early signs that your vascular system is not healthy. Um, that's why people often have silent, you know, hypertension. That's like, they call it the silent epidemic. You actually have to check your blood pressure to really know what it is in most cases. Now, women sometimes have other issues that are a little bit different. They may have issues involving the electrophysiology of the heart. For example, women are more prone to getting palpitations or <clears throat> arrhythmias. And that can be also related to deficiencies of estrogen, but also to nutrients like magnesium. So many, many people are deficient in magnesium. And the first sign of that can be that you get palpitations. So that's another sign that the heart is in, you know, deficient state of magnesium. Wow. This, uh, this, uh, my head's like swell is just swimming right now. Um, okay. So it, what is it that, what can women do now to prevent heart disease? Like starting today, starting well, today. Well, one thing, you know, is a perfect awareness that this is, <clears throat> this is not a men's disease. This is actually the number one killer of women is a cardiovascular event. Women have more strokes than men. Women have more high blood pressure once they surpass the age of 65. Women die more often from their first heart attack. Women have heart failure at significant levels, and it's quite different from males. So first thing is awareness, which is why I'm so happy to have this opportunity to speak with you. The next thing is to recognize the role of estrogen and the impact universally of menopause that menopause is, is universal, it's inevitable, mm -hmm. but it's always a harmful state for women's health. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's beneficial. So going through the menopausal transition and then into the menopausal years, which for many women now is half of their lifetime, Correct. is not the, like the burgeoning of new health. It's not, it's always a health challenge. Many of the diseases associated with aging are really the uh, they're really due to estrogen deficiencies like osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, dementia, you know, wrinkling skin, <laughs> cancers, and of course cardiovascular disease. Many doctors don't get this. This really key piece of information that menopause is not a healthy state of female being. It's really unfortunate mm. that reproductive issues, because after all, menopause is always recognized as, well, women are no longer right. fertile, right? Right. But reproduction is completely interlinked with metabolic health, which of course is so natural, because why would nature evolve a human female to be unhealthy in all of her organ systems, but yet be fertile. I mean, you wouldn't right. be able to survive a pregnancy. That's why, and this is another actual warning sign that's really important for me to mention, that pregnancy is really 
the ultimate cardiometabolic stress test of women. And if you fail, in other words, you have a pregnancy-related complication, for example, you have gestational diabetes, you have pregnancy-induced hypertension, you have preeclampsia, you have an abruption, preterm labor, all of those issues are really like um, foretelling of problems once you hit the menopausal transition. They're really precursors to what will be a problem in terms of your cardiometabolic state. And so, wow. so women in pregnancy are sort of living on thin ice. If they're not really cardiometabolically healthy, then they develop these complications. But then after pregnancy, when their hormones are restored to their natural state, because the pregnancy hormones are really quite a different situation than the routine hormones of a woman who's not pregnant, once she gets back to that pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy state, then all those cardiometabolic issues often resolve only to resurface when she starts heading into the menopausal years. So, and we're trying to educate cardiologists on actually to, and other doctors, you know, gynecologists and internal medicine doctors, family doctors on taking an appropriate history of women, like asking like, what happened when you were pregnant? By the way, infertility itself is a warning sign. So the most common cause of infertility in women is a medical condition called polycystic ovary syndrome. And yep. that is the most common disorder of women as far as their hormonal situation. And it has significant cardiometabolic issues associated with it. So fertility is also sort of a warning sign when you don't have good fertility. So all of those things really come into play. So that awareness is number one. Then recognizing that contraceptives can play a role. So women who are younger can choose wisely. If they have family history of, of problems with their cardiovascular system, they may not want to be on hormonal contraceptives for a large number of years of their lives. It's now being actually promoted in terms of information by the American Heart Association that oral contraceptives over the long haul increase the risk of cardiovascular disease by about 20%. And wow. the younger you start, the worse off you are. The more years you're on them, the worse off you are. So these are important things for women to know when they're making major life choices, like what contraception are they going to use? Then as well, there's everything that has to do with lifestyle. So there's so many things that contribute to cardiovascular disease. We have the ubiquitous endocrine disruptors, the chemicals in our environment, heavy metals, for example, we now know are linked to cardiovascular disease, flame retardants, plastics, all the different chemicals that are found in food are linked. And then of course, our food choices. So we know, as I mentioned, that food that have nitrates help us to make nitric oxide, which is very key for a healthy cardiovascular system. And to get those nitrates, you have to eat the vegetables that have them, the green leafies like kale and spinach. And then of course, things like beetroots, which have become so popular. Well, that's and then good. there's, of course, fitness. We know that right. exercise is plays a key role in cardiovascular health. And then sleep, circadian rhythm, like eating at the right times of day. Like we are diurnal creatures. We're supposed to be active in the day. But yet many people work, not by their choice, maybe it's by their choice of job, that they're working at night. That increases cardiovascular problems. Diabetes incidence, which is linked, of course, to cardiovascular events, is way increased when you work at night. 
And so, you know, trying to sleep at night, sleep in a dark room and so forth is all really important for preventing cardiovascular disease. And stress, I can't emphasize enough the role of mind-body medicine, which our conventional medical system doesn't really talk about very much, but the it's, it's very science-based medicine that lowering stress is going to lower heart attack risk. And then we know that one of the key issues as people age in terms of cardiovascular risk is actually loneliness. So, you know, people who don't have connections to other people, don't have purpose in life, are just plain lonely. They have a serious increased risk of cardiovascular events. So there's a lot that we can do for ourselves and for those we love to help them to lower their risk. So Dr. Gersh, are you, since we talked about this and um, about loneliness, especially with, you know, elderly women, um, are you noticing an increase of heart attacks now because so many elderly are isolated and lonely due to the pandemic that's going on right now? Well, certainly it's been reported. In fact, there's a unique condition for women. It actually is uh, 80 to 90% of the victims are female and they tend to be older postmenopausal women. And it's called Takusubo, also known as broken heart syndrome. Right. And it's a unique condition of women where they have, it's, it's like a heart attack and heart failure. And the incidence of that has really dramatically risen. So that is really indicative of the tremendous impact of emotions and loneliness on women. So absolutely, unfortunately, this um, pandemic that we've been enduring has increased deaths from heart attacks for women and the type of heart failure and heart effects of broken heart syndrome. Do you think that maybe also, I know that, you know, there's a fear, there's more of a fear of going to see a doctor now, you know, leaving the house, so to speak. Do you think that's part of it as well? That actually has been definitely an issue because women often um, will have symptoms that are very subtle. Like we talked about, right. they may have, you know, the anxiety or just feeling a little nauseated, lightheaded. And it's like, oh, it'll just pass. You right. know, first of all, they don't want to impose on their family members or risk them being exposed. And they, of course, don't want to be exposed. And unfortunately, there actually are a significant number of cases of people acquiring COVID infections in hospital settings. I mean, right. it's just a reality. So yes, people have suffered strokes and heart attacks and gone unattended by any medical personnel with, of course, adverse events and adverse out outcomes because of that. Um, I had another question. What, what's the average age of heart attack, a heart attack for a woman? I mean, obviously it's after menopause, I'm assuming, from what we've discussed. Well, but it, tends to, it, it tends to happen after age 65. However, there has been an increase in younger aged women having issues such as heart attacks and strokes. And so there's a variety of theories on that, you know, because of our changed diet and sedentary lifestyle, all the risk factors are really exploding. And of course, the ubiquitous endocrine disruptors. So there actually has been an earlier onset of these events, although statistically they tend to be in women over 65, but you can't assume that you're home free just because you're under that age. And in fact, like I said, the incidence is rising and uh, we really need to be on alert at every age. Right, right. Now, let me ask you this, since, I mean, you, you've 
you've actually shed the light and exposed some things that I'm sure a lot of us did not know. And, you know, one, the shocking one to me was about the fact that they've only recently been, you know, really looking at the differences between men and women when it comes to heart disease since 2015, which is just is flabbergasting <laughs> to me. But where can women find more, and I want to say, quote unquote, good information on heart disease right now? Like where, where you know, if a woman wanted, to, one of my listeners wanted to, you know, delve a little deeper into this, where besides WebMD, where would you suggest? Yes. Well, I would actually go to the American Heart Association's website. Mm -hmm. They are really on a mission here to try to educate and spread the word all over about the differences. I'm so excited about it. The differences between males and females and really promoting more research. So I would definitely use the American Heart Association's website and all their resources as really a trusted source of information for women. Great. Well, okay. I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that, (laughs) you know, since it is sort of their month and we are just eking in. I mean, the month is almost over February and we are just getting this in, in this month. But, you know, I don't want to also, we should be watching our health, not just in February or heart health, but obviously (laughs) all year long. And I love that there's a month dedicated to it, but heart disease can happen all year long. So um, is there anything else that you would like to add or want women to know before we wrap this up? Well, I think just as an, you know, an overview that women are definitely victims of all the issues involving cardiovascular events. Women do suffer overall more strokes. They have more ruptured aneurysms. They die more often from their first heart attacks. Once they hit age 65, they start surpassing men in the incidence of hypertension. That women need to know that the protections that they seem to have to some degree prior to menopause really dissipate once menopause sets in and they really have to be on high alert. And heart disease is an evolution. It's not something that you can start paying attention to in terms of your health. Once you hit menopause at every stage of life, the food you eat, movements you make, the all the decisions you make are really key to prolonging the optimal health. We really want to have healthy longevity. We don't want to just live. We want to live well. Yeah. You're, you're preaching the choir. That's what I'm always saying to <laughs> me. You know, it's funny. I have, I have women saying now, you know, I really hate the term anti-aging and, and I get that. I do get that because, you know, anti is, is obviously sort of a negative word, but you know, and I like to say pro-aging, I do, but I also like to say anti-aging because I want us to fight it, you know, fight the fight, live the best life that we can, um, you know, considering we spend almost half of our lives and, you know, post-menopause, I, I really would love to see women take their health very seriously, you know, not, not neurotically so, but I still want women to have fun and enjoy life, but I would hope that we start really taking these things more so we can live a, a better life and and not age the way that our grandparents did. You know, that's really and we we now know more than we did then. So it's it's at our disposal as long as we inform ourselves. That's how I feel. Absolutely. We can take charge. And that's really one of my missions is for every single woman out there to know that she can take charge of her own health, make decisions and have the quality and, you know, the experience of life that, that she wants. 
You and I are in complete agreement on that. Um, I am so I, I I learned so much from this, and and I'm hoping that my listeners did too. I'm sure they will because it's been extremely eye opening. And you've been a wonderful guest. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, my Dr. Gersh. My pleasure. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. If you've enjoyed this uh, episode, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a lot. And I have new, a new pro-aging podcast weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thank you so much for listening. 